Dude, that old music. Music brings back memories, right? I love you too, whoever you are. I love you. You love me because you don't know me, if you knew me. Hello, old friend. Been a while. Dude. It's been like, let's say I started smoking when I was 13. Quit when I was 30. Switched to smokeless tobacco. Like, I don't even know if that's quitting. That's like, you don't stop sins, you swap sins, but... It's funny, like the smells bring back memories, like this is like junior high, first cigarette I stole. And they're smaller than I remember. It's like, feels like a Virginia Slim or something. I guess because when you start when you're 13 and you're smaller, but anyway, I just thought we could enjoy this moment together. It's a little, feels like a beginning of a relapse or something. You're like, I don't know, man. Played a Taylor Swift song and ended just like nosedives. <laughs> you can tell I'm not inhaling if you're a smoker. Because it's still kind of wispy. It'd be like diffused if I was. Can you ash on stage in church? <laughs> just did. Smoking is cancerous. There's a Surgeon General warning on the box. It's cancerous. Oh, by the way, if anybody's taking pictures and posting this on social media, don't. That's going to create a lot of conversations. It's out of context. We're going to get somewhere, so stay with me. Uh, that includes you, bud. Um, smoking's cancerous, right? Like, we all know this. It's cancerous. Um, but it does give you some sort of satisfaction. Like if you've been a smoker, it gives you some semblance of satisfaction. Like maybe a smoke break, maybe wake up from a hangover, keep the buzz going, whatever it is. Like people smoke for a reason. It's not because of the flavor. <laughs> so the flavor I remember. Uh, so it gives you that satisfaction, but it causes cancer. So it's a little bit of a catch-22. And one, one outweighs the other, right? Like the cancer wins and the satisfaction race. But it's the other thing too. Like it also repels others. Like some of you right now are like, are you kidding me? Like I'm going to end up smelling like this. I've got to pick up my kid from training ground in a little bit. <laughs> it, it repels others so much so that it isolates the smoker. Like we've created whole sections for these uh, habits now. Like oh, smoking section. It used to be in restaurants. Now it's like across the parking lot, designated area. It's isolating that person because it repels others. But it's not just that, it's, it's secondhand smoke too. Like, I mean, I don't think this is gonna get you. But if you were around it long enough, it would. Secondhand smoke can create all kinds of sickness, not just cancer, like just sickness if you live in it. But the other thing too, beyond just like the secondhand smoke is like, dude, it's pervasive. It's not something you can keep isolated. Like, whoever I talk to from here on out tonight, they're gonna be like, did you smoke tonight? Like, even if I wasn't here, go home and kiss my wife, she's gonna know, like, did you, like, have a cigarette? Like, what happened? And, and I remember our neighbors, we had uh, these people growing up, and they smoked, they were smokers, they had these uh, tan Mercedes Benz. 
which was weird in Springfield, Missouri, because nobody had Benzes, but they did. They had two, and they were tan, and they reeked like smoke. They were probably originally white, but because of the smoke, they became tan. There, I remember as a kid being like, what is this smell? It was on their clothes. It was in their house. It was in their shop. They had like a business. It was just pervasive. It couldn't stay self-contained. And that smoking, smoking is like unforgiveness. You see, it's, it gives you unforgiveness. It gives you a little bit of satisfaction. It makes you think like, yeah, screw them. I hate them. I feel better because screw them. They hurt me. Screw them. I hope you die and go to hell. And you feel a little bit better about that because it's like, it feels like a little bit of justice even though you're not the one that gives out justice. But it gives, it gives you some semblance of satisfaction. But what it is is cancer to your soul. It is cancerous to every part of your being. It's just eating away at you. Maybe not the first little bit of unforgiveness, but after it's there long enough and it gets fed by all the other toxins, like it will be throughout your body. It'll go systemic and be cancerous to everything about you. The other thing that it does is it, it repels others. Like they're gonna smell that on you. That unforgiveness, you're gonna reek to other people, which is gonna make it really isolating for you. Like, dude, I don't know. That, that, he's just bitter. Like he's ticked at the world. I don't know who peed in his cereal, but he's mad about life. Like what's going on? And so it's gonna repel others, it's gonna isolate you, because you know what, they're wrong, he's stupid, they cut me off, my boss is an idiot, my, my ex, are you kidding me? Like everybody becomes dumb, you're the smartest person in the room, and it's so isolating to you, this unforgiveness. And there's secondhand, there's secondhand cancers and illnesses, because that toxicity, there's collateral damage, like it's gonna spread out to your other relationships. You can't self-contain that. It's gonna get on your wife, it's gonna get on your roommates, it's gonna go down to your kids. This root of bitterness that it says grows up to what, defile you? No, it says to defile many. It spreads this cancer of unforgiveness, and it's, Pervasive, just like that smoke is all over my neighbor's cars, house, clothes, everything. You, it's not a self-contained thing like, ah, it's just me and him, but everything else is cool. No, it's not, because God won't allow it. In fact, he will be heavy upon you if you're unforgiving. Tonight, if you haven't guessed, um, we're not talking about smoking, we're talking about forgiveness. So I wanna tell you the time in my life when, so I don't talk about this from the stage from a lot because, uh, because it's others' sin, and particularly like this sin, like it, it, it laid me out. So I was married before, not to Laura. I was married before when I was down in Austin, and uh, it was not awesome. I was chasing money, alcohol, weed, status, everything the world offered, and she fell into a relationship with one of my friends. And when I say fell into a relationship, I mean adultery and like long-term adultery. We weren't married for even three years, but one of those years was full-blown adultery. Uh, he left his wife. They got married. And so that door was forever shut and all that. But I want you to know that when I found out about that affair, here's where I went. And maybe you've heard me talk about putting a gun to my head. And like, at some point in my life, I went from functional alcoholism to dysfunctional alcoholism. Well, the dysfunction happened when I opened up her phone and saw text messages from my buddy. And... I put the phone down and loaded a 12-gauge shotgun and began hunting my friend. I was like, you're dying. And then I put the gun to my own head because I was like, and I don't want to spend life in prison. I don't want to spend any years in prison. I'm killing you, and I'm checking out. I would have gone to hell. 
But the, the unforgiveness that entered into my soul because of the sin that was committed against me was uh, demonic. It, it was the, I, I don't know how to say it other than my inside felt black in the rage and hatred and murderous thoughts. Like I literally planned out how at one point I was gonna kill them both in my family room. Like I came undone with evil because of my unforgiveness. Now something changed. God convicted me of my sin. So here I am like all indignant about the sin that's been committed against me. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, I'm no prince. I'm an alcoholic. She's married to an alcoholic. That must be a real treat. And so, uh, and all the horrible things I said to my friend, and I felt so justified in the moment, but then I realized like, dude, I'm, I'm, I am now like reviling him with all this hatred, just spewing it, and it's eating me alive. So I literally called and asked the guy that I wanted to kill, would you please forgive me for the things that I said? And it was like, well, how, how am I asking his forgiveness? Like the guy's sleeping with my wife and like they're running off. And now I'm asking for forgiveness because the unforgiveness was eating me alive. I mean, it was quick cancer, not like 60 years get emphysema. Like it, I, I was dying because of this unforgiveness. And something happened also. So I, that helped like me seeking his forgiveness. I sought her forgiveness. Said, man, you were married to an alcoholic. I'm so sorry, would you please forgive me? And then I came across this little passage where Jesus says, for your enemies, love them, pray for them, and bless them. And so I started praying for them every day and for their children. God, please, please save them. I went from wishing they would die and spend forever in hell to wanting them to be saved. Love them. I'm like, how do I love these people? Like, we're not really having dinners or barbecues. Uh, and I was like, I need to share the gospel. And so I sent my ex-wife the gospel, like, I don't know, every couple of months in different ways. I'd, I'd be like, well, that one didn't hit. So I'd send another one and uh, just trying to love that way. Like, I don't know, what, what's the greater way to love than to say like, hey, I, I am forgiven of my sin. You can be forgiven of your sin. Not to rub her nose in it, to be like, you, you can be free. I invited both of them to Watermark's marriage conference because I was like, oh, man, I mean, I think they probably started off on a little bit of a rocky start. This could help. Like, come to the marriage conference. They ghosted me. No problem. I forgive them. Uh, not going cancer. And then the third one was bless them. And I'm like, how do, how, man, how do I bless these people? Like, that's, I don't, that's weird. And when they got pregnant for the first time, you know, one of my buddies was like, hey, you know that they're starting a family. And, and all that unforgiveness kind of came back up, like, God, what is, what is happening? And uh, God gave me an idea. He, he literally took me back to that verse where Jesus says, love, pray, and bless your enemies. I was like, all right, I'm gonna bless them. They gotta be, they gotta have a baby shower. So I get them Babies R Us, search their names. It's like, oh. Picked out, I don't know what I picked out. I was broke, I was in seminary, but I was like, man, I got to. Obedience, like I got to. I gotta, I gotta get rid of this. This unforgiveness is coming back. And so I sent them a, a baby gift and put like Psalm 127 on there. Like children are a gift and heritage from the Lord. And, and it really helped. Like it, 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 it helped to, uh, to kick the habit. It, it helped like 
Like, go figure. Jesus isn't like some sadistic, like, <laughs> love your enemies, the ones who like trash your life. Go love them. See how that feels. It's like, no, man, I, I, want, I want you to be free and I want them to be forgiven. So love them, pray for them, bless them. Like, we have to forgive as believers. And here's the litmus test, I think, for as we were talking about this as a team. Here's, by the way, this smoking illustration, that's Nate Graybill, the guy who taught me regeneration, who wrote the books you're working through. The guy's a genius. Um, here's a litmus test for forgiveness. If you're like, yeah, I forgave them. You're like, yeah, maybe you did. Like, your words might have said that, but check this. Like, do you want condemnation for them or do you have compassion for them? Because that's what it was for me. It was like, die and burn in hell forever. And then it changed. It was like, oh my goodness, Lord, you have to save them. Save them. Save their children. Like, send Christians into their lives and begin praying for them regularly. Did so today with the team as we thought about this. And so do you want condemnation or compassion? And I'm not talking about like if, if you were raped or sexually abused, like there needs to be justice there for that. But if it's like this hatred condemnation versus like compassion, and, and even for the ones who sin against you, like I want them to be saved by the Lord, I want them to be rescued. And here's how you can do that. Like, but, but I need justice for that, for that sin that was done against me. Like, there must be justice. And I say, well, how about for you? Should there be justice for you? You're like, yeah, but I'm a Christian. Jesus paid my justice. It's like, cool. How about them? Because he will. He'll either pay the justice upon the cross. If they trust in Jesus, all of their sin was nailed to the cross just like yours. Like, if you want justice, be careful, because God says, like, hey, if you don't, if you treat them with a lack of justice, come to you too. All your sin was nailed to the cross. All theirs can be too. And you say, well, they're not a Christian yet. Great. Pray that they would be so they don't burn forever in hell. That they would trust in Jesus, share the gospel with them, whatever it is, or just whatever. But God's wrath will be poured out upon the cross if they trust in Jesus. Maybe they already have. If they're not a believer, and this should make you shudder with soberness of soul, his wrath will be poured out forever in hell for whatever they did to you. Whatever you can't forgive them for, God says, vengeance is mine. No, that's, that's mine. I forgave you. Who are you to not forgive? I'll take care of it, either at the cross or forever in hell. And that should make you move to compassion, like, oh my goodness. It's the first thought I had when bin Laden was killed, and I'm, I am a patriot, but when bin Laden was shot and killed, the thought was, oh man, his fate is sealed. Hell forever, forever. So I don't, your worst enemy, whoever that is, that's a terrifying thought and should move us to compassion. And then the other thing is this is more process than event. And so forgiveness, I mean, I thought about it as I was teaching this thing, there was someone that really hurt me more recently than all that. And I forgave them and all that. But then recently, like some stuff started coming back up and literally through this teaching was like, you know what? I got some weeds that are growing back up. That secondhand smoke starting to smell good instead of bad. And so as it's a process and not an event, if you're like, I, f I forgave them, that was 10 years ago. If you start to like feel that angst or frustration or whatever, like that just means you gotta get back in the process of forgiving and transferring that debt to the cross, to the Lord to be like, it's yours. I'm not the one who deals out justice, you do. Here's some misconceptions quickly about forgiveness. We say sometimes, uh, we can't, for, you know, I, I, I'm gonna forgive God. Well, God doesn't sin, so you can't forgive him. Good luck with that one, misconception. Here's another one. Well, they haven't asked me yet, so I'm, I haven't forgiven them because they haven't sought my forgiveness. That's sin. 
God says, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. The onus is on you to forgive. Now, if they come and ask you, praise God. Maybe you need to confront them and be like, hey, it really hurt me when you did that. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Yeah, well, you did. Hey, I forgive you. Great. Anytime someone seeks your forgiveness, you should already have in your mind, like, I forgive you. Like, I already have. When it hurt me is when I took that to the Lord. You should already have forgiven them even before that verbal transaction takes place. You can't forgive yourself. People say like, man, I just can't forgive myself. Well, here, that translates to, I can't believe I did what I did. It's pride. You can't forgive yourself. Of course you can't forgive yourself. That's like somebody on trial and being like, you know what, judge? Uh, bailiff, excuse me, I'm, I'm done with this. I forgive myself. The judge would be like, sit down, boy. What are you talking about? You committed the crime. I decide. You can't. You can't forgive yourself. You're the one who sinned. Unless you can forgive your own sin and you can't, good luck trying to forgive yourself. Jesus is the one who forgives. Fourth, time doesn't heal all wounds. Time makes all wounds worse. Wounds fester. That, that, nowhere in the history of history does time make a wound better. Forgiveness heals wounds. God heals wounds. And here's the last misconception. is people be like, dude, I thought you forgave me. Like, how come you're, you won't let me borrow your car again? It's like, you wrecked my car three times in a row. I forgive you. I'm not pressing charges, but I'm not giving you my keys. So forgiveness doesn't equal trust. Forgiveness doesn't equal respect. Forgiveness is forgiveness, meaning I have taken the justice that was due to me because of your sin against me, I've transferred it to God. I hold nothing against you, but that doesn't mean I'm giving you my keys. You abused my child, that doesn't mean you get to come in my house anymore. Don't tell me like, oh, that means you didn't forgive me. No, I forgive you. I've entrusted that justice to God. I don't trust you. That's different. Trust and respect are in back over time. This is all based on step eight. We're gonna hear it as the step highlight. I'm gonna give Andrew up here as I go along. Sorry, it should be like four-part series. But it's based on this verse, Ephesians 4, 32, uh, sorry, 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God. He's like, you imitate me. I forgave you. You sinned a lot against me. Nailed to the cross. Jesus rose again. You're now my adopted son and daughter. You imitate me. You forgive like I forgive. Clean slate. You trust the, Jesus, the justice to me. I'll take care of it. Elsewhere in Matthew 18, Jesus says this. He gives this parable about somebody who was forgiven a big debt by a master. And then he goes and like demands a lesser debt from one of his fellows. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. Jesus, so also, here's the summation of the parable. So also my father in heaven will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Not your words, your spirit. Jesus says, you don't forgive? Dude, you're in trouble with the father. We have to forgive, and then we prepare to seek forgiveness from others, which is the next step.